the Michigan Hockey Cast 6.14. We're finally starting to put some things together. I think we both had good weekends, even though we were doing different things. We were watching, well, I guess different things in some ways. Um, you went to the NHL All-Star Game and preceding events, things that we talked about and previewed last week. Um, I'm going to need some follow-up on some of these mascot shenanigans. You, you managed to send me a video of what looked to be a large bird moving very slowly at a lion and then getting very excited after he scored a goal. And I don't know that I've ever seen that before in my life. Uh, that was the mascot skills competition. That was the uh, Capitals mascot, Slapshot, doing a... What, the Capitals mascot's name is Slapshot? Yeah. Okay. Doing a, a breakaway challenge. And <laughs> he was... So how many of those were there? Um, I think about three or four mascots did the breakaway challenge. Okay. Um. That was at the um, the fanfare that was going on from Thursday through Sunday at the convention center. And, you know, it was really, uh, that would have been a great event, you know, if you had, like, kids there. Yeah. Um, like, there was a lot of kid things to do. You could do the, you know, measure how fast your slap shot is. Oh, yeah. You know, like like the pitch thing at, at yeah, yeah. baseball. And then, you know, they had arcade games. They had all the trophies from the Hockey Hall of Fame were there. Hmm. So you could get your picture taken with... You know, the Lady Bing and... <laughs> the actual Lady Bing and uh, Lord Bing. The Vesna Trophy. Um, so they had all that there. They had uh, NHL Network or Radio was doing a live show from there. So I got to see Bruce Boudreau on the <laughs> on the show. And uh, Kipper and Bourne were doing a live show as well on the Sportsnet stage. There was a lot of stuff going on um, just to walk around and and look at and, and that sort of thing. And then over in a corner of the room was a like floor hockey rink set up and it had three sets of bleachers. And that's where the mascot events were. How many mascots took, took part? Uh, so I was there on Friday, which was the mascot skills competition. The day before was the mascot um, game, dodgeball game. <laughs> the dodgeball. So not even a hockey game. No, they played a hockey game um, Friday night okay. after the skills competition okay. in Scotiabank arena. Oh. Um, and you were there for that? Yep. And that was? It was very humorous. <laughs> yeah. okay. I mean, it's I had a lot of respect because it's hard to be on skates in that suit. Yeah. You know, skating around, playing hockey. Like. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> true. I would agree. <laughs> um, but the skills competition was just floor hockey. and But no, all 30 mascots were there. Really? And the Rangers and Red Wings obviously not represented because they don't have mascots, but... The other 30 teams all had their mascots there. They all got introduced one by one. And uh, so they did, for the skills competition, they did breakaway challenge. They did hardest shot. They did, their version of fastest skater was uh, two, two mascots get on hoverboards <laughs> and they have to do a lap and without falling off the hoverboard. <laughs> was that humorous? It was, it was pretty good. And <laughs> the funny thing was, so it was like packed with people. We, really, I got there twenty minutes before the skills competition. Yeah, so I could get a seat in the bleachers to watch it. 
And then, of course, all the families showed up, all sure. the kids everywhere, watch, ready for this. And so there were, like, a lot of people just standing around, and the kids kept wanting to get up close, and the event organizers were trying to tell them to stay back from the boards because mm. it was only mesh netting oh. uh, above the boards. And so they kept saying, stand back, stand back. The problem was the mascots kept coming over <laughs> and signing autographs. So, like, the kids aren't leaving. Yeah, well, I'm like, <laughs> if you want them to not be up against the mesh netting, tell the mascots to stop coming over. Start and... leashing Slapshot. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, you know, Carlton, the Leafs mascot, was the big star of the show. Um, of course. And the crowd was going wild, so... That was very funny, um, but overall it was a good. Uh, I went to all three days of the events at Scotiabank. I heard the draft was awkward. Yeah, the player that first night was a little bit of a weird night. Um, well, everyone drafted all their teammates, which you knew was going to happen. But it's so dumb because it's like, well, okay, we've already seen these people play together. <laughs> Let's see them play with other people. That's part of what's fun about like all star game type things. I thought the player draft should have been in like a small theater. I thought it was in... It's too big. Yeah, I thought it was too big. Were there people there? Yeah, I, I, uh, that night, uh, the attendance, I think, was 16,000, so it was close to... It was about 80% well, that's capacity. that's a lot. But for the player draft, not everyone was in their seats. Some people were in the concourse milling around. Um, and I'm guessing the player draft didn't take a while. It was an hour, from 6 to 7. It took an hour? Yeah. To do that? Well, they had to do commercial breaks, because it was on TV. Um, I didn't even know it was on TV. Okay. Um... And, uh, you know, it had, uh, I think it, I think it was David Amber and Pucci Gross doing it. So like, oh, that's probably why I didn't know yeah, it was, it was, it was less than optimal. And I don't know, it, <laughs> they needed to go back to the 2015 one where the players were all drinking when they did it, um, <laughs> yeah, which was a riot. But then of course, <laughs> then HL had to cancel that cause we can't, in, you know, have good things, <laughs> but, um, uh, so it was just kind of it was it was just too big of a venue. So then that got done. Then after that was the '67 Leaf ceremony, right? Which was pretty dull. Um, uh, well, it, it was wheeling all the people out. On, it was the chairs. most like old Canada sort of thing of all time because the accompaniment to it was a bagpipes group. You texted me a picture of coming that. out onto the ice, <laughs> and then the host for the event was Ron McLean, the host of Hockey Night in Canada, who's just you know. The, <laughs> The, the, just the caricature of like boomer Canadian sort of thing. It I was, see. it was, it was like a big callback to like when everyone in Canada was Scottish and like everyone's <laughs> last name was Ferguson or McDonald from like 1955. And <laughs> most of the people sitting there were just kind of like, what's going on with this? <laughs> that wasn't uh, all, that was not representative of the people in the stands. No, not really. <laughs> and so that was a little dry. And then they did the PWHL Showcase, three-on-three -three game after that. That was fine. I mean, uh, I would say about half the fans there were there for that because hmm. um, the tickets for Thursday night were really cheap. So, so like a lot, of, a lot of like uh, families with young girls that wanted to see that yeah. were there. So they were really excited for that. So that was fine. How was the, the actual skills competition? Because I, I DVR'd it and watched it after the Friday game. Uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was way, way better than the past years. I it thought was it was much more engaging. Really good. Sue and I really liked it. Craig was like, I don't know why anyone would pay money to do this, but we threw things at him, so it was okay. But I thought it was awesome because yeah, I thought like, it was... those are the things that you want to see, right? Like, 
Yeah. Like the the NBA one used to be great with the slam dunk competition and the three point and then like the dribble passing stuff. Like those are the interesting things that you get to see the best players in the world do the things that they're really good at. And the coolest thing I thought about the skills competition was they actually had the best players doing it. Yep. Like hey. it wasn't like the clowns that were Well and it was I mean there was a lot edge of roster players. There was a lot of sort of stress and you know, everything going into that. Because, it got competitive, right, sans because, like, Nikita Kucherov. <laughs> because everyone, like, for a while, Elias Pettersson was doing really well, and then he yeah. had the fall on the obstacle course, yeah. and that was the end. And so, it, like, you know, one little mistake could really trip you up. And Did you boo Kucherov? No, we, I, you know, everyone was going crazy about that, and I thought, I had no issue with him being bad or whatever, because... Okay, but it wasn't him being bad. He's, like, a great passer, isn't he? Yeah. And... He was horrendous. People were furious that he wasn't taking it seriously or whatever. But I don't know. It's a the skills competition is in part entertainment for the fans. And so were, fans you, were you entertained? Absolutely, by the fact were that... entertained. Absolutely, so, well... he was the villain of the show. They were booing him from the start. And <laughs> but then they he, also booing him because he's he's he a played for Tampa, player. right? Yeah. And then he was really bad, and so the fans were going crazy every time that he was bad at an event. So, so you didn't boo him in terms of entertainment value, I would argue that was far more entertaining than it would be if he was trying hard and succeeding. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It created a narrative for fans to latch on to. Maybe um, he was paid off. So that was a fun night, um, and especially getting to see Chester the Cheetah with McDavid <laughs> when he won the one event, coming out on the ice with the huge bag of Cheetos. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> I must so, have fast forwarded. So, uh, that was fun, and and the games, uh, the games were pretty good. The only thing that was kind of weird was that they did the first game, and then they had to do they had player introductions first game, yeah, and then they brought out the second the teams for the second game, and they had to do player introductions again, yeah. So like they play the game, and then they have to take a break to reconstruct, yeah, the the entrance for the players to come out of. So that was uh, that was a little weird, but. Uh, the game was fine. I, honestly, when I watched the game like last year, for example, I was like, eh. But this year, I don't know if it was just the experience of being in the stands, but it was actually much more entertaining. Like this year, watching it for me, just because like goalies made a lot of saves. Like yeah. it, it wasn't just thirteen to twelve, right. and everyone's just scoring. Like no, they, I mean, great, a lot of the games, a couple of games were low scoring. Yeah, so there were some great saves being made, and people were like, oh, you know. So it was. Uh, it was very energetic, and they got they did the Tate McRae performance in between, which was a big get for the NHL compared to what they normally get for those All Star Game performances. So that was good headlines for them too. I don't even know who that is. Uh, she was the celebrity captain with Team McKinnon. She's like a up and coming pop star. I see. She just put out her first album like a few months ago. Okay. It's, it's, she's one of those artists where like a lot of the like old millennials on Twitter were just like, who is this? And it's like, no, this is actually like a really big gift. Is that me? She, yeah. Oh, okay. You're more disconnected from pop culture than even some of the people that were tweeting this. Like, That's probably she, true. If you're not like on TikTok, you probably don't know her as I much see. yet, but she is on the way up. And, okay. And, you know, typically the NHL for the All-Star Game would get like a band that was vaguely popular in like 1993 Vaguely popular, yeah. like not actually popular. <laughs> and but so like, to get like a 20-year-old pop star on the way up is was well, a very big gift. Probably helped it was in Toronto. Right. Well, and she's from Calgary, so, uh, you know, she... Did they boo her? No. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, that was fun. 
Um, she used to date Cole Sillinger, so there was a lot of, oh. and this album is like about him, and so there was oh, there was a lot of good content Great. on hockey Twitter of people <laughs> tweeting about that. Um, the best one was the uh, Cole Sillinger had no expected goals for at the All-Star game, but he did have an XGF there. Oh, that, look that at that. Was, that, was a great, that was a great one. But anyway, uh, very fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a good event. And I feel like, having now done this experience for the first time, I don't feel like a particular need to go to the All-Star game again. I mean, if it comes to Detroit, I'd probably go just because yeah. it's in the backyard. But I would say if you are like a big NHL fan, it was a fun experience, and would, I would recommend doing it once in your life. Would you go and, some... and do one of the events again? Like, would you do the the skills competition again if it was similar to like this? Because sure. that, that seems like something that sure, I could do. it was do. a fun night. I mean, yeah. the only thing I thought they could have done better was they could have showed us on the Jumbotron the standings more, oh. like for the total events, because there was yeah. that part after the sixth event where I was sitting in the stands, like, pulling up Twitter, trying to be like, like, wait a minute, well, who who's going to get cut? Yeah, who, 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 <laughs> no one even knows. And we knew Kucherov was, but we <laughs> didn't know who the other three were that were getting cut until they told us. So that so was they a, just didn't, like... That was a little annoying. The other thing from the weekend, uh, for hockey cast purposes, Saturday before the game, I, um, I went down to the old Maple Leafs Gardens, now... Matami Athletic Center and watched uh, PWHL Toronto versus Minnesota on Saturday afternoon before okay. the All-Star game. Got to see what uh, the new league is like, and it was fun. It was a good experience. The you know It kind of had the old AFC Ann Arbor feel to it <laughs> in that sure. if you go to smaller sports, the crowd is way better because the people that are there want to be there, want to be there yeah. and, and are fans. So it was very lively, very energetic. Uh, the game was good. I mean, Minnesota is one of the best teams in, in the league so far, and Toronto is one of the worst, and Toronto really outplayed them. So hmm. I guess, you know, if they can find their groove or whatever. But uh, it was neat. I, I enjoyed it and also enjoyed getting to go into that building just to see the remains of the old Maple Leafs guard. That would probably be pretty cool, yeah. Um, had a very, like, Andover Ice Cube feel to it, like <laughs> one of those rinks. Because it had, like, the area with the glass windows where you can stand behind the Where you can be and warm over, and watch and overlook. hockey. Yeah. yeah. So... But no, that was a that was a good experience too. So I did uh, Friday and Saturday basically with fanfare and then skills, then PWH All Star Game. It was like back to back days of eight hours of hockey, basically. So, All right. <laughs> very busy. Is that but enough for you? Enjoyable. All right. Well, we should move on to the Friday game for this segment. Um, did you get to see much of or follow along with what was going I saw on? The, the ending of the Friday game, but uh, that was really all I saw. Okay. Um, so the Friday game I thought was interesting because, um, well, it was on BTN minus, so it was very uh, tough to see specifics, but I didn't think that the ice was great. I couldn't get like a clear confirmation that it, it was or it wasn't, but sort of the way that Michigan played and then like both teams had very low Corsi events that kind of made me think that. And, and you just saw a lot of people slipping and falling. And I heard that there was, um, like a, a women's basketball game the night before. And so um, it was always, you know, Michigan's gone to Columbus a few times and, and run into that problem. Sometimes it feels intentional. You know, maybe if there was a game the night before, it wasn't as much. But the Saturday game was a bit more lively. Um, Michigan definitely struggled in the first period. A lot of the things that I'd written down, just notes about lots of defensive zone turnovers. Not like 
the ones that we talked about in previous weeks, but just not able to connect on passes and guys like slipping and pucks jumping off of sticks and hopping over sticks. And, you know, there was some power plays. Michigan had a couple of power plays pretty early, in fact. Um, had one or two chances per power play, but couldn't really get the zone and pass it around and create multiple looks the way that they normally do, which usually results in them getting dangerous chances because you get the kill kind of stretched out and the goalie moved side to side, that sort of thing. Didn't really get that. Had a couple of one-offs, but um, didn't didn't do a ton. Uh, Turnus actually made a, Logan Turnus made a very nice save. I believe that was on Casey on one of them. Um, and then it just got jumpy and kind of, ready to get out of the period, but um, Casey makes a nice little play, and then the puck gets sent into the front where Draper gets a chance in the slot, and the puck comes back out to Tyler Duke, who recovers it and fires it in. And that was a little bit of a fun storyline because the first goal of the series is, of course, Tyler Duke, who played at Ohio State last year, and he was definitely booed, and so that was a little bit fun. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to get booed in that situation. And it was, you know, this is going to kind of be a theme that we go through and something I wrote a little bit about after the Saturday game. But, you know, Michigan's getting goals then from depth players and and on defense. And that's something that we talked about before about, you know, obviously the top line, the hero line is very good and they're going to score a lot and get a lot of chances. But when Michigan can get those notches from their second and third lines and from multiple different defensive pairings. You know, that's something we didn't see a ton of in the first half. No, uh, not particularly. Uh, Also, Jake Barczewski had a very nice start and continued on really throughout the weekend. I thought probably by the end, it was his most complete weekend. Obviously, Michigan's defense, I thought, overall very good again, Um, at least uh, in limiting the defensive or the the dangerous chances. Um, But something that... Another thing that we needed to see. Uh, getting into the second period, uh, one thing of note that was interesting is that I did not see Steve Holtz in the first period of that game. He popped up a little bit in the second, rotating in on the third pair where they split up Warren and Truscott. Where were they dressing seven defensemen? Yeah, they dressed, yeah. They dressed seven. I mean, I think that they have they typically do. the last three weekends. Um, and so then you sort of expected some rotation. He did get in a little in the second period, and that was kind of all that I saw of him. Now, I don't have the time on ice numbers and all of that, and I didn't, you know, when the game's on BTN minus, a lot of times you have no (laughs) idea who has the puck. But I did not see a ton of of Holtz. It was basically the second period of the Friday game, and I thought that Fantilli played pretty well all weekend, and that'll be something to watch, especially this weekend against, you know, much more offensive team, a team that is going to skate a lot better than Ohio State. And, you know, having a guy like Luca, if he's able to play in the defensive end, is going to be a big help. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so Ohio State gets another power play. This one, they got one in the first period. I thought Michigan did a decent job killing it. The second one got a little bit dicier. Ohio State had chances, but just couldn't really connect. Um it got a little bit lucky off some puck fumbles and, and some pucks jumping sticks, some wide chances. Not the best kill, but again, not a goal. You're going to get those, you're going to get those, you know, get out of their free cards at some point. Michigan got one of those. Um, you know, Edwards didn't have the best 
Knight either, and that started a little bit in the second period. He gave up a two-on-one because he just slipped in the neutral zone, and um, they got lucky on a, a shot that goes wide. And so Michigan's not really outplaying Ohio State at this point in the game. They have a few chances, but you know they get the early goal or the goal late in the first period, and they're generally protecting their house on defense, but they're not really overwhelming. The first line, I think, create a little bit after that, not a ton. And so it's just a choppy game, and you're, it had that feel of like, uh, we can't give this away against this team. It just was very, it was very like frustrating. You're really hoping for that second goal, which I've ended, ended up coming sort of again late in that second period where a shot comes from the point and doesn't get through and hovers in the slot where Garrett Shifsky grabs the rebound and has sort of a spinorama shot where he just sort of turns and fires. I couldn't really tell if he could see what he was shooting at, knew the general area, but he put it inside the far post. Um, Turnus had the sort of the front half covered and Shifsky got it around him with a really nice athletic sort of spinning whip shot. Well, this one starts with the turnover created by TJ Hughes, who, you know, Michigan is in theory, in more of a neutral zone for check because Ohio State's got four in their own end just looking to start a passive breakout as Michigan is in the middle of a change. But T.J. Hughes goes all by himself deep in the zone. There's two Buckeyes behind the net to flush them out and takes the puck away and then throws it in front, scramble ensues, and, and then you get the rebound goal off the point shot. But uh, really nice forecheck play there and you know ends up leading to, leading to a goal. And right after that, Michigan adds a third as you get a shot from the point from Truscott, hits Ernesty in the slot. He, it looks like he tips it, and then it kind of goes through Turnus, not quite across the line, but Moldenauer sitting right on the back door, beats his defenseman to it, and just taps it right in. It's 3 nothing. So you get depth goals from, well, you get a defenseman goal, and then two depth goals from Shivsky and then Moldenauer. Off defenseman shots. Off defenseman shots, correct. Um, and it's 3 nothing, and at that point, you're like, well, we're, again, we're not really outplaying them, but we are finishing, and that's something that, you know, Ohio State doesn't have that Michigan has starting to have uh, quite a few of his finishers. Yeah, I mean, they've been scoring pretty darn well recently in the month of January into February, and uh, it wasn't, wasn't a difference this weekend. Correct. Um, and so, it's you know, there's about four minutes left in... Uh, the second period, and I kind of, I think I tweeted that, and it was 3 nothing. and you're like, all right, just finish this this period off, and then you can see the game out, and Michigan did not really do that. They um, gave up a, a four-on-three odd man rush that uh, ended up getting a stick on the shot, so deflected it out of play, but um, Ohio State got a decent look there, and then Edwards turns the puck over at the blue line, and Montez kind of walks in on sort of a two-on-one it wasn't. I didn't. I don't think I counted it as an odd man rush because the puck never actually got outside of the zone or got didn't get very close. But he walks in. Luca kind of takes the pass, which is probably the right play. And Montez beats Jake um, as he gets to walk right in and go five hole. Um, you know, not great from Edwards. And you know, we can debate if Luca is supposed to come across there or not. Um, could, but it's also not great to get beat five hole. Like if that shot gets roofed on you fine, but that's kind of the thing that you definitely want to take away is sort of the center of yourself. Yeah. Not ideal. So it's three, one. And then, um, you get another sort of rush from Montez, not a super dangerous one, but he does shake Edwards who falls over. And then he kind of boxes out, uh, 
Luca Fantilli and gets another shot that beats Jake through the five hole. And, you know, you're just kind of, <laughs> I thought the defensemen were in the right places. It's just neither one of them could make the play to stop him. And then, you know, again, it's not the worst goal because you're getting a guy walking right in on you, but the position of it is, is you'd like maybe a little bit better on that shot. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a situation where a goalie needs to help the, de- you know, help the defense out and, and get a save. Yeah. You just get kind of three air balls from the last three guys on defense. Yep. And all of a sudden it's three to two and you're going to the end of the second period and you're feeling like, wow, is this Saturday or you know, <laughs> is it just the end of another Michigan hockey game? Um, and then in the third period, Michigan kind of gets outplayed, but on purpose, it felt like it, it felt like at that point, you know, with the ice, with the fact that they weren't generating a ton, Michigan was a little bit more going conservative and trying to say, okay, you know, we'll give them the puck to an extent, and we're just not going to give them really good chances. And they didn't get a ton of really good chances. Um, they did get a two-on-one that Barczewski came out and made a save on Montez as he was going for the hat trick early. And they did get a power play. Um, Ohio State did. But Michigan mostly just kept them to the edges. There were a lot of shots. Barczewski played a lot of them very well. Ended up getting a bunch of saves. I think he was up to somewhere around 37 saves on the yeah, evening. Ohio State had a lot of shots in this game. Yeah, they definitely did. And they outshot Michigan. But I didn't think that all, like they were walking into the slot repeatedly other than on just a couple of these, like, rush breakdowns. Sure. Um, Nazer hit the iron, so they had a really ch- they had a chance to take th- to edge it out, but didn't end up getting the empty netter until about two minutes when Shifsky hit it from center ice to more or less seal the 4-2 to two win. Um, but a good shout-out to Barczewski and the defense. I thought that overall they gave a performance that you could win a road game like this. Yeah, I mean, this... It was when they get the two goals, just following it from abroad, it was kind of like, oh, here we go. But then managing to protect it the entire third period and hang on, you know, enough for Shivsky to hit the empty net and put it away. That was a big confidence builder. It's it's against a bad team. Yes. But, you know, they haven't had a lot of wins like this where they games where they haven't blown leads and closed it out have generally been like Wisconsin and MSU last two weekends where they're up multiple goals and they just kind of cruise up five to one or, you know, this was a one goal, uh, protection and they managed to get it to the finish line. And that's, that's a big deal. And it's not a game where you're thoroughly outplaying your opponent. You're finishing your chances because you probably have better offensive skill guys across the board. And so when you get those chances, the odds of yours going in and the other teams not are higher and they got that, but you're not like dominating play and you're not dominating your style of play. So to win when a lot of how you would set up, ideally set up a game, does not go your way and still be able to pull it out is, I think, huge for this team because if you're talking about making a tournament run, you're going to play against teams that are kind of like this. Whether they don't have the skill players or they want to play in that sort of a style you know, remains to be seen as to which team you draw, but you're not just going to be able to skate through March and and hopefully April and just blister teams yeah. <laughs> like a high-scoring game. Yeah. We saw that the past couple of years where you're going to have to win these dogfights. And, and you know, you know the, the Saturday game was a different kind of win, 
but this was one where you were in control and tried to give it away the way that you have all year and didn't. So bit of a mental hurdle, I think, overcome there. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will take a break and we will come back and talk about the Saturday game, some other scores, and then you have some college hockey news to get to as well. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Saturday, we got a treat as that the game was on television. <laughs> so we did not have to watch on BTN Minus or some other random stream, as has happened uh, generally throughout the year. And we actually got to have full on replays and announcers and could rewind and all that kind of thing and um, a bit more clarity on the screen as well. The only uh, change of note was they brought in Pletsky for um, Roe which is not that big of a change, but, um, you know, they they kind of seemingly settled on Roe. I, I did not hear if there's an injury or not, but Chase Pletsky got his chance to play. Um, and this game was a lot more open. It seemed like the ice was much improved. You had a lot of odd man rushes in the first period. Michigan ended up getting, I think, three two-on-ones. One was on shorthanded. The other ones were later on in the period, and Ohio State got one. As well, and so you knew this was just going to be a bit more of a an open game. Um, you got early minute power plays from Ohio State and Michigan, where you know during Ohio State's Michigan draws a call, and so you kind of get that split. Um, not a ton really happens there, uh, but Michigan does strike first again after another defensive zone turnover from Ohio State. Uh, the puck kind of jumps into the slot after it gets turned over on the boards and Josh Ernesty walks in, picks it up and fires it and beats Eberly. And he is just another depth guy that, you know, we talked about in the last segment a little bit that we're going to build on in this segment that is score is scoring for Michigan. He gets one later. Um, but you know, he's got a shot at getting 10 this year. I think he's up to seven. Yeah. He's had a solid year. This is another goal. Like the, the one in the Friday game where, it really starts with a one-on-four forecheck situation yeah. that causes... Which shouldn't happen, right? I mean, in no, theory... Ohio State should not be in that situation, yeah. but it ca- Dylan Duke causes enough mayhem to eventually allow reinforcements to arrive that help 
totally break the play up and and then Ernesty jumps on it. But uh, Michigan's forechecking really good, and it uh, gave Ohio State some issues. Ohio State did get a couple more power plays in this first period. Um, and this is a little bit like one of the ones we mentioned in the first segment where uh, Stoppa gets called for a trip and then Ohio State has a lot of the puck and they and the Michigan gets the kill, but um, it wasn't uh, a ton of credit to the penalty kill itself. Ohio State missed a bunch of stuff. Um, they got a couple of uh, backdoor chances that they just couldn't convert. Barczewski came out and made one really nice tight save. Um, but, you know, they just can't put the puck in the net. And then on the the next one, uh, once again, they get a, a number of shots. And, and I think they ended up with about 10 shots in the period. And I think five, if I had it right, came on the power play. So Ohio State's offense in the first period was due to Michigan's penalty taking. Tyler Duke had a bit of a silly cross check that where they might have been lucky. wasn't a major as he like throws him in headfirst into the boards. Um, and so you just have a lot... You just have – you don't want to supplement Ohio State's bad offense by giving them too many power play chances yeah. because that is how they're going to get a lot of goals. And Michigan did that, but they ended up not giving up the goals. Yeah. So um, – and and then late in the first period, Michigan gets a, a two-on-one rush from Nazer and McGrady. Nazer shoots the puck, draws a massive rebound, Brindley – is the third guy in, scoops it up in the slot. Looks like he might shoot, but drops it to Edwards, who's the fourth guy in, coming flying up. And he beats Eberle as he gets down into the slot. And it's 2 nothing. A really nice awareness play from Brindley there. And then a good play from Edwards, who um, had his first goal of the season last week. and this, But it was, you know, an empty netter. So this is his first, like, real goal. And um, a guy who, you know, is kind of big for Michigan from an offensive standpoint, because he can skate, he can move really well, he does good things with the puck, and he can, he's can. he been playing on the top pair. So him jumping up into the play and starting to get on the board would be a big lift for Michigan. Yeah, I, Michigan can always use more offense from the blue line outside of Seamus Casey, and uh, Edwards is by far the best prospect to contribute that. Yep, so it's 2 nothing at the end of the first period, and you're feeling pretty good because Michigan has been creating a lot of chances. Barczewski was good at, at times, especially on the on the PK, um, and they have a two-goal lead, uh, something that we're accustomed to on Saturday, so you're not like completely feeling out of the woods, but going into the second period, you thought, okay, if this somewhat continues, we, we should be in decent shape. Um, unfortunately, that they start giving up some odd man rushes. Ohio State gets a three on two and a shot goes wide. They get a save out of Barczewski on another two on one. Um, Rutger has a defensive zone turnover. And so Ohio State is starting to garner a little bit. Jake Barczewski might have made the save of his Michigan career, at least, uh, where he dives from the left side to the right side with a blocker, gets the perfect angle on it and deflecting it up and high and wide into the corner. Um, I just remember being in the room watching it and the whole room just kind of shouts when he makes that save because that was like kind of the save that you aren't overly expecting from him those are the ones that tend to beat him and because of another defensive breakdown but he got across and uh great blocker save did you were you able to see the replay of that yeah, i saw the replay uh ohio state the shooter there gets burned by trying to catch and shoot rather than one time it because it gives barczewski just enough time to get over and 
uh, gets the blocker out and punches it away. So, um, again, not something we typically see from him, but uh, one that will go on his highlight reel for the rest of his life. In the second half of the second period, Michigan got really, really close to extending the lead a number of times. They had good looks from the the second line, good looks from the top line. I mean, most of my chance or my notes here are just like great looks from from TJ and Dylan, a Nazar to Brindley, good chance, um, a chance from Edwards in the slot, and then even Luca Fantilli. I think this might have been on a four on four. I, I don't remember. Maybe it, no, it wasn't. There's was a penalty, so it was five on five. Luca crosses the blue line, stops, and Marshall Warren cuts back door and hits a great diagonal pass, and Warren gets a chance on net. It didn't go in, but it was a good play from Luca. Um, something that we're accustomed to seeing from him, and you get you see Warren getting forward. But Michi- the point is, is that Michigan is like right there. This is not a two nothing the way it was before the previous game. This is a two nothing that could be three, four, five nothing, depending on if chances are finished. Um, and they just they just couldn't get one. TJ to, to Dylan Duke had a good chance, and you just you're kind of like a little bit nervous now because you're going to enter the third period. You're up. 2-0, and you had all these chances and none of them could get through, and we know what happens in third periods on Saturdays for Michigan uh, this year, but um, here we are again with a chance to close it down, and can they do it? Will they finally do it? Well, they did it the night before, and they would be uh, successful on this one, too. Um, and that's it starts uh, with pretty good defense, where from Barczewski, finding a nice lo- uh, loose puck. I thought he tracked the puck pretty well all weekend. You know, we talked about those couple of goals he was beating five hole that weren't great, but um, he did a good job seeing the, a lot of shots. I thought the defense did a good job of getting out of his way and allowing him to see them. He played them pretty well, and his sort of puck management in and around the crease was good too, locating it, freezing it, knowing when to play it. Uh, just things that you want to see, especially from a goaltender that isn't as um, offensively proactive. Yep. Uh, and and then it starts to get dicey. Uh, Montez walks in from the point, the only guy to score on Barczewski all weekend, and he fires a shot that Josh Ernesty comes out to try to block it. It goes around him, and he just picks a corner, uh, whether you're tempted to or not, um, and it goes high above Barczewski's blocker, right in, right in the corner. I thought it was a good shot. I don't know that Barczewski could have seen it because Ernesty got down. You wished he would have blocked it, but sometimes those get through and they find the net. Yeah, I was not able to see this one because Ohio State wasn't really tweeting highlights of their goals, unfortunately. <laughs> Just like uh, their football yeah, Twitter. final score. Not really sharing things, yep. So it's 2-1, and then you, you just kind of get this pit in your stomach. Like, we cannot let this get away. You know, this is too good of an opportunity. And before you can really realize what happened, Michigan gets a chance. It doesn't go in. And then Nazer just has... One of the plays of his career that I remember just exploding up the ice, beating his man, but he's too deep, so he whirls around the net, but makes a really tight curl coming around the net and whips the puck out into the slot where Rutger is coming down with him, puts it right on his tape, and Rutger just fires it by Eberle. Um, Ohio State played their second goalie, Eberle. And it's in the back of the net before you can even realize it. It's 3-1. to one. While you're still celebrating and taking notes and figuring out what's going on, Michigan has a rush off the face-off, and Ernesty kind of swoops in as he 
it gets comes down, cuts across the slot, fades to the right, and then shoots back to the left inside the post and beats Eberle again. In that's two goals in 15 seconds. So you go from a little bit like uh oh, here we go to wow, now we have a three goal lead and. Michigan has basically quelled anything that Ohio State was going to throw. And the third goal is classic, just super skilled play that Michigan is capable of making. And, you know, Nazer swooping around and passing through two guys. But then fourth one, bad pinch at the line allows Ernesty to get through, but not a very good goal allowed by Everly. Well, did, so I kept writing that it looked like he, he slid yeah, off he his angle. Yeah, he lost his post basically Outside, as he was yeah. coming out to challenge and seeded it but you know you don't really want to do a wrist you have a wrist shot clean from that high in the zone because it didn't seem like Eberly had his momentum going with him like he no. had been turned to the side and is sort of shooting as he goes by and back which is not the most powerful of all the shots and yeah I just you know I didn't think that Michigan got many freebies on the weekend from Ohio State goalies but this one this one yeah. probably felt like it so four to one, and then you know most of the rest of the game. Honestly, Michigan is just on major power plays. As uh, with I think about twelve minutes left. Oh, one one thing I did want to mention because of the players involved. But uh, before we get there, was Edwards had a really nice play where he gets low. This is after four one uh, below the goal line, and then has a quick little dish to Chase Pletsky, who comes very close to scoring again. Hits the post, unlucky, but the. The point that I wanted to make with that is that, you know, that's Pletsky's on the fourth line, and the way that Michigan is able to create with their defensemen, especially now that Edwards is back, means that sort of like those third and fourth lines can also be a little more dangerous because you pair, or during the rotation of, of play, you can get good offensive play drivers on defense with maybe not quite as dangerous of attackers and still get some chances. Yep. So that happened. And that was a, it was a big thing for Edwards. I kind of dinged him uh, in my breakdown on Friday and Saturday, he gets a goal. He almost gets another assist. I thought he had a really nice game anyway. Um, so then we get the two majors as I was getting to earlier, five minute major on Dunlap. And at that point, I just remember feeling like, okay, like, you know, sure, go try to score, whatever, but just don't give up anything horrendous and see five minutes off the clock. And it went basically from 11 to 6. Ohio State didn't really get anything. And at that point, I mean, sure, anyone can collapse, but I'm actually starting to believe yeah. that they're going to sl- to finish off this weekend. Uh, they, they Edwards does take a penalty after that. Ohio State doesn't really get anything on their power play. And then we get a second major contact off a hit on Rutger. Did you see either of these no, hits? No. So they they review them, and, and Michigan gets a major, basically, that seeds out the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed because, like, you know, we'd gone, I think, a little while without seeing these, like, major hits and getting major penalties. And it was kind of nice to actually, like, watch hockey instead of seeing these, like, long stretches of just power plays and, like, guys getting tossed from games and all that sort of thing. But um, in the end, Michigan does get the two wins. They do close them out in different fashions, and they're both on the road in a place that they generally struggle at least one of two games. Yeah, they have not swept in Columbus all that often. And a few things I thought, first of all, really good to be able to win the weekend where you didn't get a power play goal. 
Yeah. Even though Ohio State had this bad penalty kill, and we talk all about Michigan's power play, but they were all uh, five-on-five goals, uh, except for the empty netter, which, you know, five-on-six. But, sure. um, you know, and, and to get them from Ernesty, uh getting involved, and Edwards getting involved, I think Shipsky. only one goal and one assist for Rucker on the weekend, which yeah, I think is good. Right, like it's yeah. you can you get two wins in regulation, in which you were not leaning on your power play and you were not leaning on your top guys because that's going to happen from time to time, and you need to develop more depth scoring. And they were able to get that this weekend, so that's a very, very nice to see. Uh, the other thought, Ohio State's real bad. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I was trying to not play that up. Someone, but... someone was tweeting about their schedule and how they have like one regulation win in the Big Ten but are 8-2 and two in the non-con or whatever. And then you look at their non-con, and it was Mercyhurst, Lindenwood, <laughs> Princeton, and that Bowling Green team that is, like, apocalyptic this season. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're not good. And no. they, they're clearly the seventh-best team. They got swept by Penn State. Yeah. Um, so, and this was one of those weekends where losing hurts a lot more than winning helps. And yeah. you just get the wins and move on. Well, and they do they don't make a big jump in pairwise, but they did a little bit in the standings, which we will get to after we go through uh all the rest of the games, which we will do now. Um so our buddies in Augustana lost to Bermidji five zero. Did they play a second game or did I just not write down the second game? Uh let do me you have those let scores. Me, let on? me pull it up. It looks like oh, then they won. I just I completely missed this one. Uh, so they lose five zero and then they win five to two. So great for them. Yeah, that's I, they've played as well as sort of like the newbies. I think as you know because there's like these new teams that we're getting used to: Stonehill, uh, Lindenwood, Augustana, Long Island, and Augustana has been pretty competitive all year. Yeah, they don't get uh, points for the CCHA standings. They're part of the league, but they're not part of the standings. That's so weird. Uh, like which, why 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 very strange yeah but no they've been they've been real competitive part of that is that that conference is awful <laughs> they, the cc yeah, yeah well i like, mean yeah. like they are probably i don't know if they're a better conference than atlantic hockey to be honest with you you look at their pairwise numbers real real bad so yeah. augustana is getting to ease in and to their credit they're hanging in there bad conference but they're they're battling uh michigan's first non-conference opponent Providence beats UConn five to one, but then they lose, or I'm sorry, five zero, and then they lose two to one. So a split on the weekend. UConn not quite as good as they were last year. No, UConn's fall has kind of surprised me because they were a pretty good team last year. I think they missed the tournament, but were yeah. right on the bubble. Yep, and they came back. And Matthew Wood, who was you know their big star, first round pick, really has had a disappointing season, and their team has had a disappointing season. They're under five hundred. And it looks like they are not going to make the tournament. So bummer for bummer for them. UMass sank the Merrimack three to two, but then did not remember the Maine and lost one to zero. Yeah, Maine's had a tremendous <laughs> season. So. Yeah, which is their best year since what? Paul Korea. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're back. Maine is back. All right. Lindenwood tied Arizona State four four. And then lost 5-1 to one the second night. But again, you get one of these newer schools, and they're getting a not loss. Is yeah, that a that, thing? That tie, a decision? Is that what they call that it? That tie yeah. was killer for Arizona State. They were right on the pairwise bubble, and now they're 
like 20th or 21st because of that tie Lindenwood. So Lindenwood has tied Arizona State and Wisconsin this year. Are we seeing progress from these schools? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. St. Cloud State beat Colorado College 2-1 to in overtime and then lost to CC 5-3. to So not the best Do weekend for the Do you see where Colorado College clouds. is in the uh, NCHC standings? Aren't they? They're shooting up, aren't they? Yeah, they're third. Wow. They're a point ahead of Denver with the same number of games played. They're ahead of Denver? Yes. Ah, that's a big rivalry. Right, it's for like some miners trophy or they're up to seven. They're up to seventeenth in pairwise now. CC Chris Mayotte. Chris Mayotte, yeah. So they it's finally happening. (laughs) So they could be in the tournament. They could. They They need to finish strong, but they. If you go back to like early in this, early in December, it's been a remarkable turnaround. They lost to ASU on December second to fall to seven six and one, Mm -hmm. and since then, here's what they did: swept North Dakota. Both in overtime. Wow. But they got wins in both games. Yeah. They split with Minnesota on the road. That's not bad. Split with Duluth, swept Miami, swept Western, and split with St. Cloud. And Western's in on the bubble or in the uh, tournament, aren't they? They're in the tournament, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Colorado College is playing great. They are... <laughs> They are legitimately, and they got North Dakota at home this weekend. So, or That's actually a, next weekend, they have a bye week. But that could be a big series. Well, they can pick off a couple wins there, then they're probably in the tournament. Mm. So, all right. Uh, next is Stonehill, who only drank three Long Islands, uh, losing three to one to Long Island. But then they drank five more Long Islands and lost five to zero. So, uh, that one goal on the weekend, giving up eight to Long Island. Maybe not the best weekend Stonehill for Stonehill. Down to, Stonehill rocks. They're down to 0-27 on this season. <laughs> I, it will be an upset of the year if they get a win, I think. Well, they got St. Anselm and Assumption coming up. Yeah, but that, those don't count. <laughs> We've been over this. We're going <laughs> to slide right by that. So now we'll move into some of the Big Ten scores. Um, Wisconsin played Minnesota. This These games were in Madison. They lost in overtime to Minnesota 2-1 to one, and then won in a shootout 2-1. to one. So basically the same sort of results. Um, they each get three points in the standings. I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to catch Wisconsin. No, I would doubt it. But... They do gain three points on Minnesota, which is a big deal. Yep. And... Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin and Michigan have the same number of games played. That's the problem. Uh, I think yes. they're only about ten. They're points ten back. back, but two game, no games in hand. Yeah, yeah they're not catching Wisconsin. Probably not. But they are now only four back of Minnesota and two back of Notre Dame, and they've got two games in hand on both. On so, both, and they play both. Yes. So they completely control their own destiny. Yep. Uh, against both of those teams, so third place is starting to look like a real possibility. It's a possibility yep. for sure. Uh, the other series was uh, two blowouts between. Notre Dame and Michigan State. Notre Dame beats Michigan State 4-1 to on Friday and then loses 4-0 on Saturday. Uh, not really the results I would have expected. Yeah, the first night, my understanding is it was just a Bischel game. Okay. Like, it was tied, then Notre Dame got the go-ahead goal, but MSU outchanced them and outshot them like a lot of the game. And uh, that Notre Dame was able to get the win because of the goalie, but uh, not not the same luck the second night. Yeah, Notre Dame tends to get a lot of splits. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that ties up 
the games of relevance to Michigan, especially around the country. At some point, we'll have to dig into uh, some of the teams that are close to Michigan Paraguay, although that's not even that true I, because we do that now because all the teams around them, yeah, we so pretty much talk about their games. They're just a hair behind Western and in another very small shot behind Providence. Uh, for Those are the 10 and 11 spots. But MSU in, in Minnesota at 7 and 9 in the in the pairwise Michigan will see as well. So yep. completely passable. Yep. So Michigan uh they've got their path in front of them but have to keep winning and one of the tricky things about pairwise this year is that because the CCHA is so bad, it's now an auto bid league. Yeah. And you already have Atlantic hockey as an auto bid. So league. now you have two auto. So bid you have leagues. to be top fourteen. Yep. And you look at the ECAC, which is really bad outside of Quinnipiac. Cornell is right on the bubble, but it's not that hard to envision another Colgate like last year. Like yeah. In that tournament, all you gotta do is have QPAC go down and right. uh oh, someone's getting in. So you really, I think, want to be at least thirteenth, but probably twelfth or higher to feel good. Like that bubble yeah. looks really treacherous this year. I think so. Generally speaking, that's where I've drawn the line in the past is somewhere yeah. between 12 and 13 um, just because, I mean, randomness plays in so much in these tournaments and you usually don't get all the top seeds winning their conference tournaments. So like yeah, you said, probably 12 and higher is what, what the aim is. Uh, Michigan draws Michigan State this weekend. Uh, this is a really interesting series, I think, because you looked at the first time they played a couple weeks ago. And Michigan decimated them for 90 minutes. I mean, they <laughs> turned them into Stonehill for the better part of a game and a half. And then their wheels and heads and sticks just all flew in different directions. And they somehow gave up six goals in the last 30 minutes and just absolutely obliterated themselves. I don't think that last 30 minutes is representative of what happens when these two teams play hockey. It seems to be more the first 90 minutes is uh, what generally will happen over the long haul. So Michigan has a chance to redo that and not completely just explode at the end. Um, And they'll have a game at Yost on Friday and a game at Little Caesars where they've generally played pretty well on Saturday against a team where they can make up ground, not only in the Big Ten standings, but in pairwise and against a team that they've made look actually pretty poorly. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope that based on the way the previous a game between these two teams ended that Michigan's going to come out with a lot of... A little bit of anger. A lot of passion yeah. and, and fire. Um, so, And building on this weekend, yeah. where you finally checked a box of a weekend sweep on the road against a football rival, then, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And, you know, now you have a chance to back it up against a team that's an up-and-comer, and, and you've already kind of picked apart. We'll go through Michigan State's numbers. Uh, they're seventh in pairwise, as you mentioned earlier, about seventh in Corsi. 27% on the power play. We talked about this before. They have a good power play. Michigan did pretty well against them before giving up one goal on the weekend. I think it was a deflected goal. So, you know, if they give up one goal, one power play goal on the weekend, I will take that going into this weekend <laughs> yeah. easily. Um, their penalty, uh, state's penalty kill is 83%, which is pretty good. They still have five drafted skaters and one guy who's going to be a top five pick most likely in the next draft. So they do have some talent, mostly at forward. Um, a couple there de- and their defensemen are usually pretty or are, are mostly pretty young. Six skaters that are scoring above .75 points per game. So they do sort of spread the wealth and they do get goals and assists from a number of players. Yep, they were, they've been an ensemble scoring team like all season. 
Ensemble, that's a good word. As we know, uh, this is a team that plays up-tempo games. They give up a lot of shots, but they take a lot of shots, and they've got a really good goalie. So that's that's the story here. Yeah, he, he hasn't been as great, and maybe that's partially the defense around him. I mean, he has a 9-14, but just having watched some of their games, I do not particularly think highly of their defense. Yes. Way. Like, they play... Uh, we're going to outscore you type of game. And I think for him to have a 9-14 is a good sign. Because yeah. I think if I think if you put Liam Soulier on this team... He's got a 7-14. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he saved the game. I mean, you know, Michigan yeah. collapsed, yeah. but they also created a bunch of chances that didn't go in that Augustine kept out. And that ended up being the difference in that Saturday game. So 7 p.m. at Yoast on Friday, BTN minus 8.30. 8.30. Thirty. Will you be already be in your PJs? Eight <laughs> thirty. I at, might be getting out of my <laughs> get dressed for the day. Oh boy. Uh, Eight thirty on Saturday at LCA on BTN. There are whispers of maybe trying to do a watch along. Uh oh. We um. There are some things that need to be ironed out first, so it is not uh for sure. But if that is of interest to you, stay tuned to. Uh, MGO sites and our Twitter accounts and that sort of thing. And um, we will try to let you know as soon as we can get those things ironed out. I think that it makes the most sense if Michigan does win on Friday. If they don't, then doing a watch along on Saturday makes fewer sense. So, um, But regardless, the Saturday game will be on BTN. So that's the second week in a row where you get to watch at least one game on actual television. We take all that we can get at this point in time, but... Uh, we have a final note for this episode. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about uh, some, some, some overall big, news. Big college hockey news that uh, should be mentioned. Uh, the rumors started to come out about this early last week, and then it was confirmed today by being featured on 32 Thoughts. Uh, Elliot and Jeff Merrick had a discussion about it. There is heavy talks about a sort of merger or agreement between the CHL, Canadian Major Junior, and... The NCAA, which would completely change college hockey. Um, as many people know, for a long time, uh, players that play major junior are not allowed to play college hockey because it was determined long ago that because there are players in major junior who are signed to NHL contracts and in some cases start the season with an NHL team, and they play seven, eight games, the team sends them back to junior, as happens with first-round picks, a decent amount. The NCAA determined long ago that uh, CHL teams are professional teams and or players are professional. It's not an yeah. amateur league. and yeah. so, Which well, is kind of true. Long ago, it was determined that because it's not an amateur league, you could not play uh, in the CHL and then go to the NCAA, whereas you could go the other way. Right. You could play NCAA and then bail for the CHL. Which has but, happened to a number of Michigan players. Yep. So that was a longstanding sort of issue between the two uh, sets of leagues, but you've had in recent years a number of players that uh, wanted to, Canadian players that wanted to play college hockey, and what they basically had to do was go to the USHL. And as we saw with the Chicago Steel um, having Owen Power, and then more recently uh, Macklin Celebrini, who is now at Boston U, and is oh Fantilli did that too. Didn't Fantilli he? did it as well. That one, at least, I think some people understood more because it was like the brother situation. Like, Luca was there, and, and there was some more subtext to it. But in particular, the Celebrini thing is a major sore spot for the WHL because the WHL is by far 
Canada's strongest league at this point in time. They're pumping out star after star after star. Bedard, obviously. Gavin McKenna, the big name for 2026. Uh, they already have in that league. Um, and so the fact that 2024's big guy should have been in their league, but then wasn't, was a major sore spot. Now, here's the thing. Celebrini, to my understanding, wanted to play against older players, mm-hmm. which is why he went to college hockey, which is kind of the trade-off, because I would argue that the pace of the CHL schedule prepares you better yeah. for the NCAA, uh, the NHL, like we've seen. Yeah, because you play like 70 games. Right? right. This season, like, for example, Matthew Nyes with the Leafs right now is really struggling. Because, because he's not used to playing that many games. Playing, yeah, so that's the flip side. That's one side. The flip side is college hockey. You play 35-year-olds. Yeah. And... <laughs> Whereas the, Which is CH- another the issue, CHL but... has strict age limits, yeah. and so Celebrini, as this wonder prospect, wanted to play against older players. So what the CHL basically said is, we respect that. What we want is, if you're going to go to Boston U, we want the years before Boston U mm-hmm. to be in our league and not in the podunk USHL. And so that's kind of what this sort of marriage uh, would potentially be about. Now, the Celebrini example is a pretty rare one, and I don't think you'd be seeing that. Now, obviously, there's some backdooring it as well, where the CHL probably thinks that, hey, if we can keep the guys for the first two years, then we can convince Celebrini to never leave. That's probably part of it. But the biggest impact of this, and this is most relevant to Michigan, is that you would potentially be opening up the avenue for players to play four years Canadian junior, 16 to 20, and then play four years of college hockey, 20 to 24. Because we already have plenty of 20-year-old freshmen in college hockey. Right. That's a very common thing. And... There's this issue where Canadian major junior players, for the ones that aren't really good enough to play in the AHL or the ECHL, they get done with their four years, they're age 20, and now they're just kind of done with hockey. And Now they could double their career. Yeah, and get a college degree. That's true. So it would be a nice thing for them. So Would it be good for the sport of college hockey? It's a different question. Well, it would be really but, good for Penn State and yeah. Ohio State and a yep. number of programs like that. Now the... Coaches for their NCAA are going to be voting on this. It's, this summer? Uh, sounds like in the summer Okay, about when this would be happening. Um, it doesn't seem to be a consensus on whether the coaches would approve it or not. Um, but what I will say is it does sound like regardless of whether the coach is okay at now, within a few years, this will be happening. So uh, something to keep on the lookout for as the future rolls along. Michigan Hockey Cast 6.14 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Next week we'll be uh, talking more about Colorado College. Mm-hmm.